This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, you got her, dude. She's down. Let's go. Dude, I just shot a deer of a lifetime. Freaking smoke team. One with nature, and if you're a believer, one with God. Definitely get your heart pumping. Boy, you are in trouble. Fall Obsession Podcast. All right, folks, welcome back to another Fall Obsession Podcast episode. We appreciate you guys listening in for another Monday morning on our weekly podcast i am sam with fall obsession once again hosting you guys for this week if you're a new listener thank you for tuning in be sure you hit follow and subscribe because as i've mentioned we do come out with these every single monday morning so a lot of good content uh here on our podcast pages for you guys to tune in and and listen to this week we are continuing the um, kind of general summer theme that we've started um, and that I mentioned last week in my conversation with pro staffer Kurt Eckleberry about kind of preseason prep, getting our properties and everything geared up for fall hunting seasons. Um, so that's kind of our, our theme of discussion for these next few podcasts. Had a great discussion with Kurt last week in episode 69 about what he's doing on his places in Ohio and West Virginia. So if you haven't checked those out, go back and give that one a listen. This week, I am with our own Fall Obsession Marketing Manager, Drew Tordick, who is from the kind of northern Midwestern region um, up there in the Minnesota area, and we're going to be kind of, like I said, continuing that that topic. So, Drew, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, Sam. Great to be with you again. Yeah, always a good time. And real quick for our listeners, if uh, again, if you are a new listener, Drew has been on our podcast before, and Drew has a lot of... Uh, a bit, uh, more of a background in some backcountry hunting and experiences um, that some of the rest of us don't have a lot of do-it-yourself stuff um, early on when we started our podcast last year drew joined us for a couple of episodes episode 16 and episode 20 
um, to talk about some of his previous Montana elk hunting backcountry experiences and then followed that up in episode 20 with talking about some of his gear that he uses. I believe those conversations were centered more around his 2019 season. Um, and then he came back again in episode 42 to kind of cover some of the same bases in regards to what went on in 2020. So if you're into backcountry hunting, do-it-yourself stuff or just elk hunting in general, mule deer hunting, any of that um, more western rugged um, type hunting, I encourage you guys to go listen to those episodes. Um, they're some of our more popular ones and rightfully so. So, But this week we are switching gears to the home front and we're going to talk about some food plots and some other stuff that drew's got going on so with that i'm going to kind of hand it over to drew and we're going to dive into our conversation kind of uh kicking it off with the the food plot topic so all right so i guess a good place to start is talk about kind of location yeah um i, I live in the metro in minnesota uh so just outside of minneapolis uh but I've got some family hunting land that is a little bit west of us, uh, out by a town called Alexandria, Minnesota. It's some land that's been in my family for a long time. Uh, some some family farmland. My family's been farming it for years. This year, we actually, I guess it was last fall, started the transition um, of turning a couple of fields from tillable into CRP, um, which is what can continually restored prairie. Uh, it's a it's a program that they've got to basically rest some tillable farm fields and turn them back into more uh, natural habitat. So that's something that we're doing on, oh, I want to say it's 85 acres. Um, and of that, we're able to plant some food plots in that, in that as well. Um, so we've got two separate one-acre food plots that we have in there. So this, the CRP transition, more of a uh, a federal program, how, how did you guys get connected and, and set up to do something like that? Was there, was there a process you all had to go through? or uh, and, and I'm asking not only for our listeners' sake, but for my own, because I, I'm not very educated myself on how the whole CRP process works, because down here in Texas, it's not something that's super common, I'd say. Sure, sure. So I was actually wrong on CRP. It's actually... Actually, uh, it's Conservation Reserve Program. Uh, it's a program from USDA. So it's it's a program for farmers uh, in which they're paid to take that land out of production. In that process, uh, my family worked with a sort of outside consultant, somebody who specializes in that transition process. And they came in and planted some stuff for us last fall. Uh, I guess it was late summer. But by the fall, there was some stuff up, and we could see some results. But the difference between last fall and this spring is it's absolutely incredible out there. Um, we're talking last fall, the grasses were not even knee-high and really sparse. And, you know, I was kind of kind of doubting the results we were going to see from it. But this spring, everything was up. And, I mean, we're talking some of that grass is head-high already, and I'm six feet tall. So, huh some some pretty good results out there after just a few i guess short of a year but probably eight months so what kind of what kind of wildlife changes have you seen with that you know it's it's amazing the difference between the amount of wildlife that i saw out there in just a couple of visits that i've made out there 
um, versus all the years that I've spent out there in the past. Uh, when we had it as sort of that monoculture, you know, either soybeans or corn or even ryegrass, just the difference that we're seeing now um, with all the differences species of grasses and everything else, sedges and everything else that we have in that CRP land that, you know, I'm seeing turkeys and tons of this year's pheasants. I'm really excited about this fall's pheasant hunt. Um, signs of a lot of deer in there. I haven't seen a lot personally, but I know my cousin in the area who keeps an eye on it for us. So he's seeing deer in there all the time. Um, this spring, he said the most he counted at one time was 20 plus deer in the field at once. So, you know, we're getting really good results. Um, seeing a lot of really good sign from it and it's kind of got us all excited for this fall yeah absolutely i imagine it would so you mentioned you you're still getting a couple of food plots um going on out there what are what are you guys putting in the ground and and running for your food plot setups sure so we are running two uh roughly one acre food plots um we till them up and broadcast planted uh sort of a mix of different stuff based on sort of different hunting seasons that we have here so we planted some of our food plots uh part of it has that early season uh food source so we got some clover some alfalfa some fescue even some buckwheat and some rye and that stuff is all planted really close to our transition zone right along those wood edges um, sort of within bow range. So that's our early season plan. Um, get those deer right in there close to bow range. And then we've got, you know, some later season stuff, you know, even some of that buckwheat and still that rye, uh, into some of the brassicas, turnips, radish, and even some of the corn that we planted, um, which would be really good for us in the late season. Uh, and for us late season, I guess I'm talking about gun season here in Minnesota. And that is, first weekend in november for us always which is you know right in the middle of the rut for us so it's it's really a great time to be here but you know the deer are going to be a little bit further away a little bit further shots um and that's okay just because we've got that that extra reach with the guns gotcha good deal so what was your what was your timing for kind of more specifically for planning some of this stuff and and has the weather cooperated? Has it not cooperated? How, how has all that played out for you um, when you're talking about, you know, your early season, your late season crops and all that kind of stuff? You know, traditionally here in Minnesota, uh, sort of common practice is to sort of plant a lot of that stuff right away. Uh, as the snow is melting, we call it frost seeding. Um, so you're basically planting stuff right as that, that frost thaw cycle finishes for the spring. Um, we didn't get out there in time to get that done. Uh, we were delayed for a few different reasons. Uh, one of them actually was weather. We were getting a lot of rain this spring. Um, the fields were really just too soft to even get into with the tractors and till them up and work them up. But then once we planted the food plot, we kind of ran into the opposite problem. So we went and, you know, put all these, I don't want to call them really expensive cover crops in but you know it, it's a fair bit of investment to go in and plant these food plots absolutely and since then we haven't seen any rain um the area that we hunt in is going through a, an extreme drought condition um and they haven't seen 
I think one or two rains since we planted that food plot. And you can tell uh, some of the stuff that we planted is really struggling because of it. Um, things like the, the clover and the alfalfa uh, are really struggling. The fescue um, and the rye is coming in, but it's definitely stunted. Uh, and then actually surprisingly, uh, you know, some of the turnips and the brassicas and even some of the radishes and the corn are doing really well without the rain. Uh, they were able to really pull the moisture out of the soil. Luckily for us, where we hunt, it's kind of a low spot, a little marshy. Uh, so there is some moisture in the ground, but that, that top seeded stuff really struggled without the rain. So, so looking ahead um, at, at, at the point we're at right now, what what are your given the weather and the and the mist rain everything like that how how do you project everything going the rest of the summer and on into fall hunting season yeah uh i mean it's kind of a challenge um just looking ahead at even our next couple weeks forecast they're talking really high temperatures and no rain again um you know before we started i i was curious so i pulled up some of the weather from it and you know in the last 30 days where we hunt we have under an inch of rain in the last 30 days um less than four inches in the last 60 uh and then again less than four in the last 90 so you can really tell that first 30 days that we planted it we didn't get any rain at all uh so that really stunted everything um you know i've got some some hopes still holding that we're gonna get some rain before the end of the season and we'll have some early some real young growth on that clover um you know that that seed can sit there dormant for a long time before it really germinates um i'm really hopeful for that later season hunt just because of you know the the success of the brassicas and the turnips and some of the other stuff the corn that we're seeing um should really have some nice food on the ground when they start to pull those agricultural crops out around us and that's really one of the uh the thing that concentrates deer where we're at so when we're talking about food plots, um, because I, for those who are might not run food plots as often or are less familiar, I know a lot of people m- might look at them as more of just a, a different way to attract the wildlife, if you will. And, and, and not to say that that's wrong, um, but like down here in Texas, you know, baiting is legal and a little bit more... Uh, you know laid back sense like we run feeders and other stuff down here to that point i know in other places that's not allowed so food plots are another alternative but food plots also have uh, uh just a, a different kind of impact on on local wildlife so you want to talk a little bit about that and kind of some of the differences you see food plots versus not food plots or you're talking about also you know you have the crp factor in there as well so how all that kind of kind of plays together long term and and the impact of food plots to your local wildlife yeah absolutely uh where we hunt is predominantly agricultural land so it's i'd call it 90 percent tillable fields around us uh everybody's growing corn soybeans uh there's some wheat and some rye being grown but for the most part it's focused on soybeans and corn uh so that stuff will get pulled out usually uh in a good year before our gun season starts uh and when that happens you know there's there's not a lot of food left it goes from 
sort of this food heavy environment where the deer can find food everywhere to sort of an environment where they're really searching to find leftover stuff from the agricultural fields or you know whatever else it is some browse that they're looking for but their selection for food really gets limited in those times uh so our thought behind that crp land is really having that 85 acres of central home corridor that the deer can travel through throughout the year um accessing that ag land but also sort of have as their home sort of comfort zone um sort of really like a home base i guess for an easier way to explain it uh a place for them to really feel comfortable um and really spend a lot more time on our land um get them comfortable there i guess the idea being that when that agricultural land gets harvested around us that these deer sort of retreat back into that crp safe zone that they know good deal so how about how about your your neighbors because you're you're doing a lot of work and you're putting putting effort you're investing as you mentioned into into your land and and your wildlife um how do how does that relationship work with with your neighbors are they hurting you or are they helping you does their does their hunting pressure uh, make it difficult for you to to quote unquote manage your your own uh, why i say wildlife but you know specifically your deer population and stuff like that yeah it it has a huge impact for us uh even you know in the last five five years or so the number of stands that i can see from where i sit in the morning has really really increased um there's times now where i'm sitting in the morning and i can look around and see five six seven other people out hunting um just in my line of sight which is a pretty big change from the way it used to be uh when i first started hunting we primarily were doing a lot of deer drives and so we'd we'd stand around or we'd call it standing um so we'd go find a spot to sit basically on the back of the truck and you know sit for a couple hours in the morning and somebody maybe shoot a deer or maybe not and we've really transitioned into you know hunting those food plots really working on the transition zones the funnels um sort of the real corridors in the property um we've got stands there and you know as a result these people who neighboring properties would in the past traditionally just wait for us to walk through our property and push the deer to them and you know everybody would shoot some deer and it was a good time um but now that we've transitioned out of doing deer drives you know the people around us are having to resort to sitting in the stand all day as well um so just you know seeing people around there's a lot of hunting pressure around us and you know what can we do to get in there early not spook the deer out to the neighbors um and you know stay comfortable all day which i guess for us the solution to that during the cold was to build some enclosed blinds uh, so the the new blinds that we put up this year we've got some video on that um on our off-season series uh we were able to put up three fully enclosed blinds uh last year and you know it was a lot of fun um hunting out of those last fall it it really is a nice thing to be able to get inside close the windows and turn the heat on absolutely yeah we that's definitely something that we covet down here in in texas too because despite despite everybody looking at texas as you know flat and hot and dusty however you want to talk about it wild west um it gets pretty cold in the winter time too we we don't have the extreme 
temps like Minnesota possibly, but um, comfort is just definitely something that comes into play when, when you're hunting in December. So, Yeah, and, and you know what I will tell you? Uh, I was a little skeptical at first. You know, I really do enjoy getting out in sort of that traditional bow stand where you're really out exposed to the elements um more or less just sitting at the top of a ladder um it was one of my favorite ways to hunt and i was you know really concerned that putting myself in an enclosed blind was really going to limit that connection and that sort of ability to be a good hunter but you know it's it's actually improved it if anything it's given me that extra time to be out there and you can get away with a lot more movement in those fully enclosed blinds than you ever could on the top of a ladder stand. Yeah, absolutely. Now there's, you know, there is something to be said, like you mentioned, hunting in that more traditional sense, you know, more of the, the old school mentality and everything. Um, and, and not to take anything away from that, but, um, there's so many, there's so many tools of, in a variety of different, uh, forms and fashions now available to the hunting community, um, that, that can make our life so much, so much easier. And I say easier, but it also, it also gives us the opportunity to do more and to be better. You're talking about being able to sit in a stand for longer. Um, and I know to go even farther with that, you know, we have cellular cameras now that allow us to, you know, do, do basically more, more frequent and more, um, real-time updates if you will on on what's happening on our places or the i know we just published an article on our website about e-scouting you know and how uh how that's becoming easier thanks to companies like onyx or hunt stand or even just google earth or stuff like that so so many modern tools that are available to us now as hunters that um in my opinion there's no shame in taking advantage of especially as talking about like the e-scouting especially if you're doing western hunting like like you're accustomed to doing regularly so yeah yeah the e-scouting is a huge huge tool for me uh you know even talking about planting these food plots in our discussion about the neighbors that that virtual scouting is a, is a good way to see are your neighbors putting food plots in if they are where are they at you know what are the new potential transition zones or travel corridors that that creates and yeah you're absolutely right about western hunting it's it's a tool that you almost can't go without to me onyx when i'm out west is i'd say as important as having a gun with you um and that just comes down to being legal um staying off of private property and staying on the public yeah and and kind of building on that topic of you know what what your neighbors are doing and being able to look and you know with onyx and tools like that and see kind of what their properties look like and then also going off of your you talking about being able to see your neighbors sometimes when they're hunting and and you know the the limits that hunting close to each other and those tight property lines and everything creates how does that affect your your stand placement and let's dive into that a little bit because uh, you're also talking about, you know, those transitions from early season bow hunting to later season rifle hunting and everything. Um, how do your stand setups vary and, and what's your, what's your thought process when it goes to, um, putting a tree stand or a tower stand or whatever you might be running out there? Yeah. So we use a combination of tripod stands, tower stands, still have a couple ladder stands up and then one of my favorite tools during bow season is actually my climbing stand that one really allows me the flexibility to get in close to some of those trails and travel corridors that 
we don't really hunt or have to hunt as closely during the rifle season. You know, some of our permanent stands, you can definitely see where those trails come out into the food plot. But when you've got a range of 150 yards with your gun, uh, you know, you don't have to be as close as you do during the bow season. Um, so just that flexibility of being able to kind of constantly be on the move and, and select different trails to hunt is really critical for me. But yeah, you're, you're talking about looking at the neighbor's stand placements and where you hunt. You know, I've I've got a stand that for a number of years was a really, really great spot. Uh, I'd see deer come out of it, uh, shot two really nice bucks out of there. But then, you know, the last three years, it's been really quiet. And, you know, looking at that travel corridor um, and looking at the wind patterns, it's pretty easy to see now with all these extra stands in there how, you know, the wrong wind or in my case, a south wind can really cut that travel corridor off, um, you know, with these new these new stands that are probably a hundred yards south of that travel corridor, you know, blowing that human scent in there really impacts those deer and really limits their movement sometimes. Do your, do your stand locations, do they, do they physically change, um, from season to season, like late season to or early season to late season, excuse me, or do you, is, is everything established before the year starts? And uh, I ask that because I do know some guys that, you know, that might be, they might be just limited on the number of stands they physically have, and they actually have to have a transition point mid season. So that, that's why I ask. Yeah. So our tower stands don't move. Those are permanently fixed. Uh, we've got those in some, some good locations to be able to see not only the bedding areas but also those food plots in the crp land uh the towers or the ladder stands uh we will occasionally move them based on sort of growth patterns um in our bedding areas and uh a big one for us just because of the sort of low land that we hunt is uh actually flooding so there are times where you know certain stand locations would be good except for the fact that the deer would have to cross through two to three feet of water and it's just not going to happen. Um, so there's times where we'll relocate a stand because of that, but no, overall, I think the, the, just the way the land is situated for us, we've got some pretty established funnels and pretty established travel corridors that don't really change from year to year. Uh, the biggest thing is that bow season, um, really being focused on exactly where along this, this line is that deer going to come out and you know when you've got 350 uh yards of forest edge or wood edge where they're going to be coming out of being able to adapt to you know sort of daily or weekly changes in their travel patterns really becomes critical during that bow season gotcha so what are what are some of your biggest um if any transitional issues when when you're going from bow to you know shotgun to muzzleloader seasons early season to late season um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you personally face if any during during those transition phases so i guess for me uh i guess i don't know if i'm answering your question the right way but one of the biggest questions or uh sort of limitations for me in the spring season or not spring season sorry the the early bow season uh really is not wanting to disrupt that deer behavior um not wanting to scare them out of the area you know we've got 
such a great sort of quiet an area uh, a quiet sanctuary i guess is the word i'm looking for for them to be during most of the year you know there's no agricultural activity in there there's no human traffic going in and out of there um so my biggest challenge is you know how do i hunt that during the bow season without really making any impact on the land i don't want those deer knowing i'm there i don't want to disrupt their patterns for that gun season because for me you know that that gun season is a sort of family event family gathering family pastime and me personally i don't want to do anything at all to mess up that hunt um just based on sort of past sort of the fact that it is sort of like a traditional hunt right that's something i don't want to mess up and so that's been my that's been my hold up during the um archery season but as far as once we get into gun season and you know, into muzzleloader, our biggest transition that we're fighting there is really the weather. Um, the difference last year was, you know, the beginning of goat, or sorry, the beginning of gun season was, you know, low 40s, um, pretty sunny, all in all, nice day. Um, by the end of gun season, we were below zero, had snow on the ground, and the wind was blowing real hard. And we were dealing with freezing rain and you know the difference <laughs> the difference there is really your equipment and your gear and staying warm and you know those power blinds played a huge role last year in being able to extend that hunting season for me well man a lot of a lot of useful info and i know i'm i'm taking stuff away from it because um and anybody who's been listening to our podcast in recent weeks as as they know um, myself and our media production manager, Nick Powell, we both got on a new deer lease down here in Texas and it is raw. There's, it's never been hunted and it is open for opportunity. So a lot of work that we're going to be putting into that these next couple of years to get that up to where we want it. Um, so appreciate you giving us some, some input and some insight into what you got going on up there up North. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of excited to see what you guys do with that Texas property. Man, man, I am too. So actually this week is going to be, um, since we got the property, I mean, you're well aware of how busy our schedules have been and everything. And this week is actually going to be my first time to actually go out there with the intention of doing some work. So um hoping to get some cameras hung and do a little scouting and start figuring out a, a more definitive game plan as to what we're going to try to do this year. So that sounds like a lot of fun oh yeah looking forward to it well before before we let you go um we got i got another thing that i want us to talk about here because as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode backcountry more kind of the the western style hunting is is something that you got a pretty pretty good amount of experience in and we've we've called you on here before the man of many tags <laughs> so <laughs> i know i know you uh were applying all over the place for those 2021 draw applications and everything so tell us what's on your radar for for this year or, or really anything you got coming up yeah uh so i guess i put in for like you said a lot of tags this year um i was unsuccessful on a lot of them just because at this point still trying to build some preference points and some hard to hunt in states trying to apply for things like arizona new mexico nevada um you know just some some hard hunts to get into but then i also applied for some that i've done in the past um that were really easy to as far as 
getting the tag, right? They're, they're not a difficult draw. Um, you know, so I'm going back to Montana this year. Uh, I've got both an, a general elk tag, and I was also lucky enough to get an elk bee tag in one of the zones that we hunt out there. Uh, the elk bee tag in Montana is just an antlerless tag, so it's an extra cow elk. Um, so I'll be able to shoot two elk in Montana this year. Uh, I also got a Montana deer tag, uh, as well as a deer bee tag. I was unsuccessful there on both my elk permit and my deer permit draws. Uh, so there's some, some limited entry zones that I've applied to there, but just wasn't successful this year. Um, based on some of the things that I'm seeing from, you know, the go hunt insider page, uh, I'm a year or two out from being drawn from some of those pretty limited entry tags so i'm getting excited for those hunts uh i got my montana antelope uh was unsuccessful this year uh i know that's kind of a painful point for you as well yeah uh, <laughs> yeah and i don't know what happened with the draw this year uh i don't know if it was just our group or the people that i know that were kind of unlucky but you know traditionally that's been a what 98 or 95 percent draw it, yeah, um, it's been a high 90s percent success rate, and I know, I know, 2018 and 2019 was a successful draw, and I was up there hunting with you, um, both years up there, and thankfully first year we got a, a good one on the ground. But um, yeah, 20 2020, I actually put in for, um, I didn't do the archery only in 2020, so that and that's a lower percent, as you know, for success rate. So that's probably why that didn't happen. But yeah, I was thoroughly shocked at the amount of guys that we had this year on our staff that put in for that 920, um, you know, pronghorn archery tag and were unsuccessful. I I've had several people point out to me that they too were unsuccessful, and they think that it's just a there's just simply more people applying i guess is what it is so yeah i think that is a huge part of it i think that the number of new applicants that came in this year um you know people are getting out and doing more things uh people responded to sort of that covid free time covid lockdown time by picking up new hobbies and one of the hobbies that people picked up which is awesome is hunting yeah Uh, so there's more hunters in the field which is you know for us it's a great thing i love seeing new people out hunting getting into the sport but the the hunter and me i mean that's that's another challenge right that's more people getting tags and i I wish we would have gotten drawn i know there's eight people that i've talked to uh who are all unsuccessful i haven't talked to anybody who was successful in that archery only draw this year uh I've which only, I find really interesting. Yeah, I've only talked so. to one, and I know he's listening. Derek Eves, you got yourself one of the very few 920 tags, apparently. So good luck this year, man, up there chasing speed goats with your bow. Hope to yeah, see a big one down. on that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It used used to be something that wasn't that difficult. It seemed like it. Now we're now we're congratulating people for getting that tag. So, <laughs> but. Uh, well that's cool man at least you got the at least you got those other opportunities to hunt montana so it's um i've only hunted pronghorn up there as you know but i've thoroughly enjoyed it i know it's a great place to go and just a great experience in the first place so yeah yeah i love hunting out there just the number of opportunities and the amount of free land it's a place you can go and you know I think you could hunt a real long time out there and never get bored of finding new places to hunt. Yeah. 
So what else you got? Oh man. So I'm also doing a lot of hunting this year in Minnesota. Uh, it's something that in the past I've, you know, had varying amounts that I've hunted in the state. Um, before I started hunting out West, I hunted almost exclusively the Metro hunt, um, Minnesota deer, uh, some Minnesota waterfowl, um, doing all that stuff again this year. And I'm going to try and put a lot more focus into it. Uh, they really expanded our Metro zone. We're dealing with a CWD outbreak here. That's just South of the Metro. And because of that, uh, it's sort of a, any deer you see, you can take, uh, kind of hunt. And so there's going to be a lot of hunting opportunities this fall. Additionally, uh, this year, one of the things that passed at a federal level, which really opened up a lot of hunting area here, is uh, there were some changes to the the National Wildlife Refuge Program. And based on some initiatives at a federal level, uh, they opened up a ton of opportunities. And this isn't just Minnesota. This is nationwide. Uh, they opened a ton of opportunities for um, big game hunting, small game hunting, waterfall hunting, you name it. There are tons of new opportunities um so for us in the metro that's opened up a lot of areas that you used to not be able to hunt and so i'm excited to hunt some new areas and check them out i've been down doing a little bit of scouting um excited to see those so you know i guess i'm kind of encouraging everybody else go check that out and see if you can't find yourself a little bit of new hunting land nearby yeah absolutely yeah, I guess Minnesota. The other thing I'm looking forward to is we're going to do a bunch of waterfowl hunting this fall. You know, do some some pit hunting up in Fergus Falls uh, with some guys up there that do an awesome job. Um, go with a group out there, Pit Properties, LLC. Uh, they are, they're the guys in Fergus that you want to call. They've got, you know, heated underground pits where they're serving you breakfast in the morning. They've got the big screen TVs in there to hang out and watch TV until the geese are flying. Uh, that's, that's one of my favorite hunts of the year. Um, it's something I try and do at least a couple days out of the year. Um, generally late season is just phenomenal. Once sort of the, the skim water and the smaller ponds around there start to freeze up, that's when it really gets good. Awesome. And then, uh, you know, Andy Meeks and I will be going to North Dakota hunting Canada geese up there on his family land. We like to hit that early season hunt up there. Uh, that starts early August. So that's kind of our kickoff to fall generally. Uh, it's one of the first hunts that really opens up for us. And, you know, other than that, I've got some, some other interesting things um, that are outside of the normal that I'm thinking about doing. Um, picked up a couple of interesting tags as well and yeah i'm kind of excited about those awesome yeah we'll have to that waterfowl hunt's coming up here in a couple weeks then if if y'all are going early august so we'll have to get with you guys after that's over and and get a podcast recap on that i know um with andy unfortunately nick tried to record a podcast with him over last season's waterfowl uh, hunt and it wasn't until after they were done recording that we realized that there was a basically a issue with the audio file and it was kind of, it was corrupt somehow with one of the I don't even know I'm not a tech guy but it, it didn't work <laughs> so oh, no. um, we had to we had to unfortunately 
trashed that one and we've been wanting to redo it and haven't had the opportunity to so after that hunt we'll have to get you both back on here but yeah you know what we should probably even drag in mason because that kid is becoming one heck of a waterfowler absolutely that'd be awesome so you mentioned uh a couple other abnormal things on your radar you care to elaborate or are they going to be tip top secret oh man you know i'm willing to talk about a couple of them (laughs) um (laughs) yeah i'm pretty excited about them so you know we've partnered up in the past with uh the houston safari club um and also safari club international uh you know those guys are a great organization and they put on some charity auctions and some charity hunts um go up for auction there yeah and i was able to pick up a couple of really interesting hunts uh, one of them that i'm really really excited for is the uh kentucky commissioner's tag so what that is is that's a whitetail tag you know in the state of kentucky and, and i'm sorry if i'm wrong on any of these uh, you know i haven't hunted there yet but just reading the rules that i have so far um you're allowed that one buck per year uh this commissioner's tag allows you to shoot two bucks for the year so you know being an out-of-state hunter and you know putting that investment and in getting somewhere to hunt being able to shoot a second deer is kind of a cool deal yeah so i'm, I'm really excited about that one um both for the the you know, ability to shoot two bucks but also you know being able to hunt somewhere new for me is always kind of exciting um one that i was supposed to have already gone out on um and you can probably fill in some people on this a little bit more but you know i was supposed to be down coming down to texas this spring to hunt axis deer um at a place called joshua creek ranch uh they're supposed to be you know the the best spot or the premier spot to go for some free range axis deer in texas um unfortunately i guess you guys had a real cold winter last winter and that cold snap that we had where it was a week of real cold temperatures really hurt their axis deer herd um and they they were forced to delay hunts yeah there's been there's been several and just all over not just hunting related but anything that has to do with um i mean some outfitters and and ranches wildlife areas um and and then other uh, more agricultural establishments like with you know some farmers with early season crops or you know tree farmers stuff like that where they've had to i've talked to several who have had to basically had to deal with a drastic impact due to uh, a very difficult week that we had back up in february um and if y'all are close to texas or know anything about it i'm sure y'all have heard but we had a week with temperatures in the in, in the teens and single digits below below zero which is unheard of for texas and our infrastructure was nowhere near equipped for it a lot of places didn't have power i my i know my house didn't have power i had to move my family um to another relative's place for that week who did and then i being a firefighter i was stuck at work for most of the week too um during all that that snow or ice apocalypse <laughs> as we call it down here but uh yeah i remember the, the i think it was this either the first or the second day we were riding around the rig and the thermometer on the on the ladder truck said i think negative 11 is what it said that at the beginning of all that so it was insanely cold for down here in texas so 
um, a lot of long lasting effects from that. And, and that's the long way, long way of elaborating on it and saying that, uh, Drew is correct. There's some outfitters with, uh, quote unquote exotics on their, on their place, like the Axis deer or black buck or whatnot that have had to delay hunts just due to the impact it's had on their wildlife populations and everything. So, and you know, it sucks for like, and I'm, I'm sure you're disappointed too, Drew, that you got to wait another year for that hunt. But at the same time, you know, while we are hunters, we're also very conservation minded. And the last thing that we want to do is continue to, um, stress an already, um, lean wildlife population of any kind. So, um, with hunting, hunting goes hand in hand with conservation and, and managing your wildlife populations and, you know, saying no when when you don't necessarily want to whether it's on a greater scale like this with you know uh, an access to your population or even if it's just letting a three and a half year old buck walk you know it all goes hand in hand together so yeah yeah exactly and you know like you said it's really giving the the herd an extra year to sort of rebound and come back uh, i mean the guys at joshua creek have been awesome as far as communicating and you know letting me know why this hunt is getting delayed they even offered to let me come down um this fall once the herd had had some time to recover a little bit um they were real accommodating but at the end it just you know in our discussions it came out that the best option for everybody and for the herd was just to wait until next year to come down yeah um yeah so i mean it's it's a hunt i've been waiting for to do for years and so one more year won't hurt it's just man i can't wait for that to come man it'll be it'll be a good time for sure and and also to build on that comment about waiting you know instead of going in the fall in in my opinion i mean access you can hunt year round um but the springtime from everything that i've seen observed the springtime is the best time probably down here to to hunt those suckers so and maybe even have a chance to shoot one in velvet i know we've we've got some guys that have done that before in the springtime so it'd be pretty cool yeah yeah that's that sounds like a lot of fun you know the only other thing that i've been talking about um i got a real good friend uh cody and he's been talking to one of his old college buddies um cody went with me on my elk hunt last year and he'll be joining me on my elk hunt this year um and his old college buddy happens to guide for caribou hunting up in alaska you know he's up in the arctic circle and we're going to connect with him and try and get a arctic caribou hunt booked man you are speaking my language now (laughs) i've said multiple times on this podcast that my bucket list hunt is a caribou so it sounds like you might have to come with well yeah i'll have to start saving my quarters and uh (laughs) my pocket change see if i can scrape it together so (laughs) yeah well, man, I appreciate you coming on this week and uh, join us for another podcast episode. Um, they're, they're too far, few and far between. We need to have you on here more often, but I uh, appreciate you, one, giving us a lot of insight into your food plots and kind of your property management and, and like we said, that preparing for those fall hunting seasons topic and uh, then capping it off with uh, what we're looking forward to here um in your world with this upcoming season so thanks for joining yeah absolutely um 
you know, I, I don't want to give too much away, but I'm pretty sure you guys are going to see quite a bit more about this fall's hunts. So, you know, follow along, stay tuned. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're we're we definitely have a lot of cool stuff in the works on many different fronts. Um, we're trying to get some um, some stuff together for just our staff in general to be able to join each other and do some hunts together. And with that comes some some media productions, and we're going to share that with you guys. Drew's obviously working on a bunch of stuff up in his neck of the woods, and as I've mentioned, we got a, a new property and a new prospect down here in Texas. So. A lot of new content that's going to be hitting our pages with all that. And on that note, um, I'll take us into closing by telling you guys to make sure you follow Fall Obsession on all of our social media pages. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, you can also, we ask you guys to please subscribe to our YouTube because um, a lot of this content we're talking about is our intent is to bring it out in video form. And that's obviously going to come to our YouTube channel. So be sure that you uh, subscribe over there. We're also on, and this is the first time I've mentioned it on the podcast but we're also on another social platform it's called go wild it is a um, social media app basically designed specifically for hunters and outdoorsmen and we got a profile on there and we uh, try to post just about the same as we do everywhere else um, on that app these days so be sure that you got if you haven't created a profile one you should start by doing that but then once you do um, find fall obsession and go follow us Whatever podcast app you're listening to this episode on, be sure that you hit that subscribe button. We are on all the major podcast platforms, uh, as well as our episodes are also published on YouTube and our website. So be sure that you guys follow and subscribe because we have a new podcast episode that drops every single Monday morning. We do our best to keep quality educational content coming to you guys on a weekly basis, and this is one of the ways that we do that. So a lot of of good content and more episodes to come in the near future, so subscribe, make sure you know notifications are turned on fallobsession.com that's our website that's the hub that's where all of our content can be found we have a lot of different videos on there um, educational some video series we got some gear reviews wild game recipes um, and then we also have a page on there like i said our podcast episodes are on there and on that podcast page you guys can fill out a form if you want to give us some feedback um, we accept just general feedback or if you got topic suggestions guest suggestions or questions that you want to ask um, you can throw them to us on there so drew appreciate your time man thanks for coming on this week sam it's always fun joining you absolutely same here all right guys thank you all for listening we'll catch you guys again next monday for an all-new fall obsession podcast episode